nursing industry is one of the fastest growing career forces in the world today. There are so many issues in the healthcare field these days relating to nurses that simply are not discussed in the media. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with Leanne Meyer. Our program will help you with the most relevant information if you're in the nursing field or are planning to enter the industry. Now, here is your host, Leanne Meyer. Welcome back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing. This is Leanne Meyer, and I am especially um, glad to be able to do this particular show. Um, the the uh, name of our ex, ex got my tongue tied here. The name of our episode here is "Parenting Our Parents: Transforming the Challenge into a Journey of Love," and that is actually the title of a book that my guest Jane Wolf Francis wrote. And um, I will be, we will be talking quite a bit about various aspects of this. Um, so uh, Jane is a psychotherapist. She's an attorney, author, coach, trainer, speaker, and blogger who has written an extraordinarily and great, greatly needed roadmap about how to prepare for and manage when our parents need our help to parent them. For the vast majority of us, this experience has either already happened for you or you have it to look forward to. If you have not yet uh, been pulled into the confusion of dealing with healthcare systems, Medicare, etc., this book may really help you. In fact, I know it will help you. Um, and it will help to know that uh, it's not it's not easy, even for people who are well-versed in healthcare. I think of myself, I've talked to gerontology doctors and nurses who have said they, when it came to their own parents, they just felt so lost. So I know that this uh, book will be a great help for you. Um, the book itself is written in a personal, touching, wise, and deeply helpful manner. Uh, Jane's compassion uh, for the elderly parents and the children, those of us who are trying to uh, parent those those parents, is palpable. And I find it um, very uh, warming to me when I was reading it and uh, realizing that some of the mistakes that I have made, I can give myself permission to forgive myself. And um, some of the things that I've done well, I felt really, really proud of. So... Um, we're going to be talking uh, about this. This this book is uh, engaging, and it shares Jane's story uh, and that of her parents also. But it also brings us into view as the as she shares potential hazards, insights, and tips about what we might expect as our own parents morph from the people we have always known and probably depended on into frail and dependent people who are strangers to us. So uh, Jane's um, introduction to uh, to her parents' change in life came as a big shock um, she, when she first realized that while she was living and growing her life and her career, her parents had hit a roadblock of illness that threw them into both threw them both into a hell of exhaustion, confusion, and terror. Um, her experience was that happened on a, a Christmas, as it happens for a lot of us when we're busy. Her parents lived in New York, and she was living in California uh, in a thriving business that was going in all directions simultaneously. So her trips back home were not as often as she might have liked to and maybe hadn't realized even how far apart they were. So talking on the phone, parents often have a great ability of um, coming across well for the short period of time for the, call, for the call. But in her situation, when she flew home for a Christmas visit, she was surprised to find that, one, her parents were not greeting her at the airport open-armed like normal, but were in fact actually asking her to wait and meet them at a, um, uh, at a restaurant later that night. So that was a surprise and difference. And then uh, after they did come to meet her, they did not look like her parents, her very well 
quaffed and and uh, uh, dressed mom. Her father was usually very, very together kind of person also. And uh, what she saw was too exhausted, uh, probably not showered, not dressed, certainly, um, the way that she would have known them. So that was the first shock. And then the next morning, they didn't want her to come to see them at her their apartment. That was a huge difference. So those were the things that first visited um, Jane as she uh, began to realize uh, that her parents had really reached a point that she had not become aware of yet. So also with parents, I think I talked about um, that they have um, uh, the possibility of kind of keeping information from us because they're afraid they maybe don't want us to see them in a lesser um, form. Uh, They are afraid that we may take over for them and put them into a home or something like that. So it's those fears and the realities that they brought for Jane are what we're going to discuss today. So first of all, please welcome with me uh, my guest, Jane Wolf-Francis. Thank you so much, Leanne. What a gracious and uh, complete introduction, and I'm very happy (laughs) to be here with you and your listening community. Great. Um, This is really one of these very touching things that... um, I think I had mentioned I have about 110,000 listeners at this point in 70 countries. And it's a uniting topic in in that all of us have parents. And either they have already died or they are, we're facing that that journey with them. So um, first, before we get into that, could you just give a brief overview of your career, why you went into social work, and then how you deviated from that a little bit at different parts in your in your career? Sure, I'd love to do that. Uh, As you indicated, my book, Parenting Our Parents, is a memoir as well as a self-help book. And uh, I started my life living in New York City, an only child. I was born in the late 40s, if we're going to be candid on this show, as we are. I was very fortunate to have two parents who were... uh, a little older, they were in their mid-30s, they put a lot of attention on this only child, they educated me very well, and I was lucky to have some great education. And um, I even did a little stint as a volunteer uh, in hospitals as a child, in the Sunday school teaching and so forth. Uh, And um, eventually I made my way uh, into becoming a lawyer, and I started out as a poverty lawyer and a VISTA volunteer. I always had a feel for what some people would call the underdog. Um, I became a litigator and a law professor, and the thrust of how I practiced law was to see if someone came to me with a wrong, how we might find a right. And sooner or later, that has made its way into my uh, continuing career in social work. Um, Litigation is a tough way to live, and I thought that there was something more satisfying and using more and the better of me that I could do. So in my mid-40s, I went back and went to social work school, and uh, I loved the biopsychosocial model um, that social work has to offer, and I looking that I was not getting any younger and my parents weren't getting younger. I figured geriatrics would be a good specialty and that's how I began and continued my career. Um, as you say, there I was off in California with my work and family and things going on here and the visits became less frequent and the telephone conversations were um, uh, frequent but as you say, they can people can kind of keep it going for five or ten or twenty <laughs> minutes on the phone, mm-hmm. and uh, so I was so shocked and frankly embarrassed. I think the whole first chapter or so of the book is about my embarrassment mm-hmm. uh, that I, who was a specialist in this field, could have overlooked the fact. Some people might call it denial. <laughs> um, that I had two elderly parents 
were at that point 87 years old, living in a two-story apartment in New York City with no children closer than 3,000 miles. That was me. Uh, and uh, who was going to take care of them as they aged or needed some help? So that's how we led to writing the book and some of the other work that I've done. One of the things I wanted to mention that you and I had talked about is that you spent 10 years and three versions of the book before you were ready to release it. And I can certainly see that, um, partly because the book is so open, um, sincere, it puts you in a vulnerable place, it talks about things that make your parents look vulnerable. Um, in my family growing up, it was always, you know, keep the dirty laundry in, in our house yeah. and never, you know, share it with anybody else. So um, any of the things yeah. that I have done, I've often wondered and worried, you know, what they would say about what I was doing. But what you did is a gift to all of us. And even more than writing the book, which maybe a lot of people might be willing to do, you have continued to try to support the people that are, are reading this and are working on this. Talk a little bit about your um, your website and the group that you have established. Uh, it, it maybe explain what parenting our parents or pop means also. Yes, I, I, I'm sure that... Um... I'm speaking with professionals here, and you know how if we create a language, it helps us to understand a whole arena. And um, it occurred to me one day that what I was doing was parenting my own parents. And that phrase sometimes rankles individuals mm -hmm. uh, at both ends, the senior parents, as I call them, and parenting our parents, I stood for pup. So there were pop parents, people, as Leanne is describing, uh, who still have living parents who may need some attention and care. And uh, the controversy is a little bit about, well, I don't want to be parented, or what are you talking about? Uh, and the, um, the pushback. But what I mean by parenting our parents is creating the kind of environment, physically, emotionally, and in other ways that you hopefully felt parented and loved and secure in your childhood. It's really not about taking away anything. It's about appropriately dealing with people whom you love, care for, wish to help, who have some needs. And the discrimination factor is figuring out what those needs are, how much they could benefit from some teamwork in the family. And um, where um, to allow yourself to just observe what's going on uh, and not interfere. And I, as I was saying to Leanne earlier, it's so much really the way good parenting is. We don't parent a three-year-old child the way mm -hmm. we parent her when she's 13. Uh, we try and find the ways to listen and look and see how we can be of help. So with all of that in mind, I came up not only with this book, but with a website called ParentingOurParents.org. And uh, we've created a community there. Uh, there's a blog. Uh, there's uh, a discount to buy the book because we want to mm -hmm. help people. And uh, what I've also done with the community is to suggest that anybody who gets engaged in what I call the pop cycle at either mm -hmm. end uh, begins to become a bit of an expert, just as one does, uh, although one doesn't necessarily feel like it, when, mm -hmm. ha when one has a newborn child, one has to in some way become an expert uh, on how to parent a newborn. So that becomes our possibility, our opportunity to reach into ourselves and say, um, would I like to make this time in my parents' life easier? Mm -hmm. Out of that, I actually created uh, a coaching course uh, where uh, I have certified pop family coaches uh, because coaching has become 
such an obvious way to support people. And we have millions and millions and millions of Americans, uh, maybe some on this uh, listening audience, maybe some from patients you deal with, who can appreciate how challenging it is when, as Leanne said, even dealing with the medical system, let alone considering um, suggesting and having your parents move somewhere closer to their pop parent children or in with other seniors or however the next stages are going to be. And Mm -hmm. so I have uh, coaches across the country who are helping families do that. I still do an occasional family coaching myself, but the idea is pop parenting our parents. It's about teamwork and um, the coach helps people to figure out how to talk and listen, something that happens as needed over time. It's not a weekly event to have a coach. But these are some of the offerings along with the blog that um, and a really excellent resource section with all kinds of places where you can go to find things that we have been, we've found to be helpful to the community. So by joining the community, which is free, uh, going to the website, you have access to all of this information. And in the sections where you can participate, uh, you too can be an expert to help other people. And this really is what it's about. We have a whole community of possibility, just like we have with parenting. But there we have all these wonderful magazines and PTAs Mm -hmm. and organizations Mm -hmm. that share with us how to do it well. Mm -hmm. There's very little out there, and that's why, um, despite my reticence to tell my personal story, I have put it out there and hope that it helps a lot of people and hope that you go to the website and see what you can use and what you can share with other people. Yeah, because absolutely. in my view, nurses play such a critical role in uh, in the healthcare system, and they have a type of accessibility to patients that often doctors do not have. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think people might really tell you nurses things kind of confidentially before the doctor comes in the room or whatever. Uh, I think you might have a, a way to reach in and help people critically shift from the challenges into the the journey of love. Exactly. Um, One of the things that I have experienced as a nurse, and I've worked in just about every area of hospital nursing you can name, when it comes to end of life for a parent, um, usually all of the things that have not been addressed prior to that time come up. (laughs) Yes. And so all of the, the the hurts and the whatever we've held on to or whatever they've held on to um, also, uh, the sibling rivalries, all of those things can come out during that period when it is so deeply emotional. Everyone is struggling in their own way to deal with this. You know, it might be a crisis kind of thing like you walked into um It might be something that has been coming for a long period of time, and maybe some of the siblings were just denying or saying it's not true. Um, I have a sister-in-law that works in in an end-of-life or long-term care and huge facility, and um, she says often that uh, children will try to place their parents in an area of the facility that is just not appropriate, like trying to put them into independent living when, in fact, they need maybe even nursing home care. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Some of the Um, um, denial that maybe the the, uh, uh, siblings and children might have? Well, uh, just to dovetail a little on where we were a moment ago, it's um, why I'm such a believer in teamwork, because mm-hmm. um, particularly when there are uh, siblings, I, I've uh, coached and been involved with many, many families where there are siblings, although that wasn't my situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as you say, so much of the earlier, you know, no wonder you want mom to come with you. She was always, you were always yeah. her favorite or, right. you know. 
But that's uh, that's the value of good communication and often of an independent, experienced professional like one of our coaches to come in and look at where people can be most useful and how they can undermine the unnecessary struggles of childhood because eventually the likelihood is they're going to be the ones left. And to begin to figure out how to create plans and teamwork and maybe uh, the brother is really good at banking and he can help mom and mm-hmm. dad and it doesn't have to be in the house or whatever and maybe somebody else <clears throat> Your sister-in-law, for example, uh, knows a lot about the end-of-life issues, and she can be somebody easier to have that conversation or open it up. So I think the openness and the possibility of that is what goes to undermine the denial. You know, we, uh, and uh, you guys, nurses, you know so much better than I do. We've only got this body for a certain amount of time, and part of... What we hope to do is to make the quality and the quantity of it as good as we can. In my view, when we're parenting children, the quality of life that we're aiming for with our children is to provide them an education so that they can experience uh, the richness of life and learn what it is they want to be and do and have and go do that. And at the at the parallel end of the pop cycle, as it comes around, almost like a circle of life, as it comes around to the other side, uh, I think one of the really joyful parts of being uh, parenting our parents and participating on this pop team approach is that we get to help them share their purpose in life. Um, I love that Japanese have an expression called ikigai. I-G-I-J-G-A-I. And it's a purpose, a reason to get up in the morning. And everybody can have one. But the loneliness and the isolation and the uh, family squabbling and the worrying get really in the way of mm-hmm. either having a purpose or being able to help expand and live their purpose in life. So... Um, Denial just really never got us very far, mm-hmm. and uh, I certainly am preaching to the choir of that. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, yeah. Medical health here. <laughs> right. Um, two things that really struck me. Um, uh, one was, uh, I'll just read the, the quote from it. it. It said, given the longevity of today's seniors and current offering of new medical treatments and pharmaceuticals, no matter how many years you put into parenting your children, you may end up parenting your parents far longer. And that really struck me because that's one of the things that I see people getting panicked at is when they see their parents at, you know, whatever age, 70s, 80s, you know, 90s, realizing that, you know, um, their parents, that would have been end of life. Um, If they made it past 60s, 70s, 80s, that was incredible. So to now know if their parent is having some of these difficulties in their 60s, knowing that they could indeed live another um, 20 or 30 years. And so there's a little bit of panic that comes in with that. Um, Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Um, Well, I think that uh, one of the only things I don't like in life, actually at least two, uh, one (laughs) is waste (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, and the other is worrying. And... uh, all these years of, of practicing therapy, uh, I've really come to know, and, and certainly your listeners know, that stressing and worrying is, you know, there are 27 things people can die of from mm-hmm. stressing. And um, the, the antidote to stressing to me is planning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and back to uh, the, the previous paragraph, not denying. So... Um, it seems to me part of the challenge is to have that first conversation and to come from the point of view that you're not taking over anybody's life, mm-hmm. uh, but that you'd like to share in it more. You'd like to make it easier. 
They like to make it better, more fun, more loving. So getting away from all of this worrying Mm -hmm. and overwhelm, uh, the statistics are staggering. Uh, And uh, certainly uh, people who work in uh, medicine are aware that life is getting longer, but not necessarily better. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there are many ways in which no matter where we are in our aging, we can A, try to improve our health, and B, um, try to improve the joy with which we have each day we have. So um, I like to sort of shine the light on the good side and avoid wasting time Mm -hmm. worrying um, because, yes, uh, planning is absolutely necessary. And really, the earlier, the better that you can engage with your parents, particularly while they're quite compassmentous and part of the conversation uh, is, you know, we're all going to be getting older. How do you want to be living? Where would you like to be living? Yeah. Have you, have you arranged for your paperwork? Um, what happens if you go in the hospital? Um, do you have the forms signed that if something happens, God forbid, that people know what to do and who makes those decisions? Right. And that's something that I think a lot of people put off, but I think the advanced planning and the different uh, forms that have come out, uh, five wishes, there's, you know, every state has their own version of it. Uh, But I think that has helped because it was an external force coming in, asking questions that were difficult for other people to ask. And actually, um, I will think... Uh, more about the information, but a previous guest that I had, Jolene Hill, I believe her name is from Australia, had compiled um, some card decks that allow uh, children and parents to sit down and in a fun way, people are used to handling cards, um, uh, to be able to ask and answer these questions with each other at a time when it's way before or not not around a crisis point. So um, we actually are at a good point here to to take a break. And so we will do that. This is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. We're talking about a book uh, by my guest, Jane Wolf Francis, called Parenting Our Parents, um, Transforming the Challenge into a Journey of Love. I love that extra part. So we'll see you in just a couple minutes. America Health and Wellness. Now there's a new destination for video content. VoiceAmerica.tv. Just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier quality programs available 24-7. VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. If you like what you're hearing on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, consider supporting the show. In the one year since the show started, we've increased our listening audience by nearly 7,900% and our goal to reach 50 countries and counting. Whether you are looking to reach a regional, national, or worldwide audience, you'll have a competitive advantage by advertising on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. It's the perfect platform. Contact senior executive producer Tacey Trump today at 480-294-6421. That's 480-294-6421. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has a mobile app for iOS, Android, or Amazon Kindle. Visit the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. 
It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Welcome back, and this is Leanne Meyer. We're talking today about the book, uh, Parenting Our Parents, Transforming the Challenge into a Journey of Love. And my guest today is the author, Jane Wolf-Francis, who is sharing a lot about, uh, both in the book and now also, uh, some of the things that um, moved her to write the book, and then further than that, also to be able to have a website. Do you want to repeat that website? Jane, of where people can go for encouragement. Jane, are you there? Here, uh, hello? Yeah, now I can hear you. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, I say it's really simple, and it's the whole concept here. It's parentingourparents.org. Mm-hmm. And that's also a place people can get a discount for purchasing the book if they're finding what you're saying and we're talking about on the show useful. Yes, I really encourage everybody who has a parent, hint, hint, to go out and buy this book because um, I've read a lot of things uh, on basically the elderly and some of the challenges, etc. But they're written in, in a more clinical way. This is very human, very um, forgiving and um, supportive. So I encourage everyone to to get it. Um, I was a little uh, surprised myself when uh, the book first came out and my patients, uh, some of whom are older, 70s, 80s, 90s, were buying like four copies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to give one to my each of my three kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see that. I'm already thinking of people I'd like to share it with. Um, <clears throat> so one of the things we've been talking about is perception. And this is one of the things I've been talking about on this show forever. I really believe that perception is reality for us, but we can choose our perception. And that's one of the things Jane does a beautiful job throughout the book of talking about we can be overwhelmed by something or we can look at it from another perception and make it into a way that it becomes uh, a positive thing. Uh, something to move toward rather than away from. Jane, can you talk a little more about that? Certainly, and I I really second what you're saying about the way we see things in life really often becomes the way they are for us. Mm -hmm. And um, I think one of my moments was when I watched my parents get in the backseat of my car, Mm -hmm. and it took them five minutes or so to get in, put Mm -hmm. their seatbelts on. And I found myself feeling uh, impatient, frustrated, Mm -hmm. even a little angry. And I said to myself, hmm, those are interesting responses. And I flipped in my mind to when the children were young. Mm -hmm. And and they were old enough to get in the backseat of the car and put their seatbelts on. And it took them five minutes. And I was so pleased with that, (laughs) that they were able to do that. And I said to myself, ah, it's the the not wanting to see them age. And it's making me impatient when what I want to be is loving. When Mm -hmm. I was with the little ones, it was so great when they were able to do things that now are more challenging to my parents. Couldn't I bring that same loving spirit? Couldn't I make something more sacred about this time in my life? Couldn't I really heal some of my own impatience? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, Really, it wasn't about them and what they were doing. They were doing the best they could. Yeah. And it 
it was really about looking at things differently and seeing I could be even more kind and generous. I could slow down a little. I could <laughs> be more, you know, more more um, appropriate uh, to having these people who are now 90 years old get in my car. Yeah. So uh, I think there there are moments uh, that all of us may, may look over at our families and think, Maybe this is the last Christmas we'll all have together or something like that. And all of a sudden there's a kind of opportunity to shift over to transforming it into a journey of love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, we were talking off mic uh, when I had said in my introduction that uh, I had made some mistakes and had done some things well. And you um, pointed something out to me there. I thought I'd like to share that with the group, too. Well, I guess once a therapist, always a therapist. But, <laughs> uh, I guess it, it was an opportunity to look at how we speak of our lives. And I had noted to Leanne that in describing some of the things she had done, she said I had made some mistakes. And my little psychological antenna went up because I would like to offer you, Leanne, and your audience, again, this shift in perception to those really are lessons you like I could see whatever you didn't want to do or wanted to do differently or wanted to do what you might say better or kinder or whatever with your mom this was a shift in it wasn't having to be that you did it wrong it was Mm -hmm. that you could learn from your own actions see if, if you might have a better way and that's the same notion I, I brought in from being a lawyer that if there was a wrong, there should be a solution, a right. Here, if we're doing something that feels like a mistake to ourselves, it just could be a really good clue. Aha, maybe this is time to think about how I might swap it out, do something different, or mm-hmm. be somebody a little more like I'd like to be today. Well, and the realization... So Go ahead. I don't see them as mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> the realization that none of us are perfect, um, even those of us who have tried very hard to be yeah, the A student yeah. and the perfect person, uh, we're generally the ones that are the most imperfect. But to realize that imperfection is actually much, much better because you can laugh at yourself. You can be lighter about whatever it is that's going on or whatever it is that's happening. And you can take it to a deeper, more precious, like you said, sacred place. Um, And that's been a long lesson for me to learn. I wanted to share a quote here that that kind of fits in here too. Uh, Your parents were doing things that seemed childlike to you. Your mother was hitting your father and your father was um, expecting much more of you as a parent maybe um, or or going to you kind of as a parent to um, side with him or to make demands and you said um, my way of responding to this type of behavior would be to reach into a place deep inside of me a place of courage internal knowing and extraordinary compassion just to discover how to act as the good parent to my parents Although my parents had resembled the other people in the restaurant on a particular night, for the first time, they'd also reminded me of young children in their slow and deliberate way of walking and thinking. I realized that I might have to think about my parents differently and sometimes behave differently toward them. I just thought that was such a beautiful passage. Oh, thank you. I think that um, uh, people who have disabled parents uh, at at any age that they have helped take care of in their own growing up um, also uh, fall within this whole parenting or parents realm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it's interesting to note um, how uh, expansive um, the opportunity is where children were often raised by their grandparents so that people, even in their 20s, may find themselves looking at parenting uh, their grandparents or their step-parents or whatever. And um, 
I, I, one of the things I say in the book is, how old are your parents acting today? <laughs> um, just <laughs> kind of a question one might ask one's children sometimes. Certainly, they're 14-year-old girls who are acting like 28. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And how do we treat people <clears throat> appropriately as a parent might depend on how old they're acting that day. And you wouldn't leave six-year-olds home alone all day to make lunch for themselves and take care of themselves. And if their state of health or well-being is such that they really are acting like six-year-olds, rather, again, than denying it and pushing it away, one may have to discover one's own courage to address the matter um, with compassion. But to be the good parent, you have to, I think, keep a pretty good grip on where your parents uh, are changing. Now, Mm -hmm. those of those of your nurses who are particularly geriatric specialists notice and know that there are all kinds of changes. And one of the most consistent things goes on in gerontology is that people age so differently. Right. <laughs> at, different, at such different rates and stages yeah. that it's hard to be an expert on it. And that's why those people who have chosen to take on this parental role really need to watch more carefully perhaps than I was doing at the beginning to see what the current needs are of these people that you love and what you can do and what you wish to do and what they'll permit you to do. Right. I wanted to share another um, paragraph or part of a paragraph that kind of fits right in here. Uh, You said, uh, even those diagnosed with fairly advanced dementia may have many parts of their brain still working, particularly with parents Uh, with parents diagnosed with dementia, you may find yourself confused by the extent of their abilities one day, followed by the depth of their um, disabilities that very evening. It's eerie to see your parent forget your name one day and then recall in detail the most embarrassing story from your childhood (laughs) the next. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, again... um... I'm sure your listeners or many of them know of the various forms of dementia mm-hmm. and um, the, the uh, certainly advanced Alzheimer's, which is the most prominent of it. Um, but again, people are different in their stages. The traditional 11 or so years from diagnosis to death um, doesn't necessarily mean it all runs specifically progressively. And so, as I said, I'd have moments where um, she'd hardly know who I was, my mom, who had Alzheimer's. She would often um, ask about her own mother and why did her mother not come visit her. Mm-hmm. And um, um, one of the uh, fascinating things we're learning now with good treatment for dementia is not to argue. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if your mother that you're visiting and saw yesterday and the day before says, you never come see me, why aren't you ever coming here to visit with me? The response isn't, I was here yesterday, I was here the day before in an annoyed manner as if you're mm-hmm. dealing, you know, with the chief nurse on the floor who said you didn't, you know, you didn't come in for rounds on time. It's more... Um, just to be calming and loving and, oh, I always love to see you. Let's let's figure out what we're going to do today that would be fun together, Mom. Yeah. It's so great that we are here today. So um, this uh, variety, you know, there's sundowning, times of day mm-hmm. when people are more alert. Uh, and certainly we would like to take advantage of important communications when people who have dementia are the most available to hear them and perhaps respond uh, a bit favorably. Right. Um, before we move on too far here, I wanted to just mention two of the shows that I've had on previously. Uh, one um, 
one was in uh, April 29th of this year, or excuse me, last year, 2019. Uh, it was about toys to play with um, adults that have dementia of one other, one kind or another. And the um, two nurses that we're talking about it were Jeannie Flossie and Lynn Hilgerson. And that was very interesting because so many times when you come to see a person with dementia, what do you talk about? But being okay. able to get them active in something, you know, whether it's catching a ball or playing a, a, a small game or something, uh, can get both uh, people engaged. And then the other one is the one I mentioned about Jolene Hill, and that was on July 8th. 2019 and she has these two sets of cards one talks about your life and one talks about the things that um, you need to know about what that person wants as they get closer to their uh, end point so um, I wanted to also just uh, toward the end of the your book there was a, a beautiful passage that really struck me and um, I have to move here a little bit to find it so while you, while you go find it I'm going to put it uh, kind of plug in for some of the advantages of the technology in the world we're living with. Um, if hypothetically your mom is in a, a nursing home and has some dementia, you might um, have a nurse bring over um, the iPhone that you've left there in the room and the grandson mm -hmm. can come say, Grandma, here I am on the bike. <laughs> I love you. I love you. Bye. Mm -hmm. you know, that can really make someone's day. So I think people ought to consider how to utilize everything we have. I love the idea of mm -hmm. uh, the toys and the cards and uh, encourage people to write in to parentingourparents.org with their ideas Mm -hmm. of uh, share their expertise and what's worked for them so that other families can have some more of that journey of love. Exactly. So this one was uh, at the end of your mother's life, and you said, I caressed her hands and her face. I hoped she could still hear the sweet words of serenity and love that I whispered in her ears. Knowing it was our last time, I sat on the crisp white bed with the woman who had birthed me and raised me sacrificed for me and loved me every day of my life and that just really struck me as the feelings that I have toward my mother and I keep uh, I've, I've known maybe more than some people realize that every day could be the last day and so I try really hard to tell her that again and again and again like it's never too many times um, do you want to talk about what that passage was for you at all Oh, I'm struck by you <laughs> and your and your sweetness. Uh, well, you know, I, I guess I was fortunate uh, to be at both my parents' sides uh, when they made their what I call transition. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't really know what happens uh, beyond the body stages, but um, it just seemed to me that I, I was particularly lucky to... Um, be with them when they went their way and uh, whatever happens after that I don't know but I like to tell people that um, there's a real loss when we lose a parent mm -hmm. but I'm not a fan of the expression I lost my mother last year mm -hmm. um, I think we'd like to perpetuate the concept that the best of our relationships and our, the best of our parents stays with us in our lifetime. Mm -hmm. And they aren't lost. I don't know where they are. <laughs> uh, but uh, I don't want to undervalue the feelings of loss that people have. But I'm uh, particularly a fan of using appropriate words. That's why I came up with pop parenting and pop and pop cycles. Um, and I think that um, being with them and sharing those right words can be very helpful. I, I absolutely agree. Um, as you think about um, the nurses and other healthcare workers, there's doctors, there's pharmacists, there's respiratory therapists, you name it, that they're in yeah. amongst this um, 
group of listeners that that have been uh, listening to this program, if there's one thing you'd really like them to know and understand about this book or about this process, what would that be? Well, I think the most critical point that I'm trying to make uh, is one that you've been making well that this stage of life can be focused on creating a journey of love Mm -hmm. rather than focused on the struggles and challenges that must be overcome and battled. Um, That we're all human. We don't know when or where or how we will die or our parents will die. And therefore, we have the choice how to live now. And... um, I think it's important to uh, become a teamwork and to enroll people, and that's why I'm so happy to be here speaking with nurses who often are with families at critical moments in those latter years and specifically often at the end of life where they can help both ends, the pop parents and the senior parents, have the most love out of the time that they have together. And I really hope that Uh, My work in the book and with the website and over these last years uh, will help other people to move along with what I call a movement and a call to action to transform, educate, and reform the way we think about and care for our aging parents as they are aging our aging loved ones and ours. Mm-hmm. So that's really my message. Thank you. Thank you. That that is so beautiful and that's audience. also also what I would like to get across and thank you so much for being with us today. Um, To the audience I would like to just encourage you I am in a transition point with this um, uh, program and the whole once a nurse concept where I am trying to open it up for as many people as possible so I do have a new website called onceanurse.com I encourage you to read my blogs I'm working at uh, improving them they're often about the stories that I've been involved in on the show. There's a newsletter that I'm putting out uh, every other week and then general notes to the world. So if you're somebody who would like to be a part of this program uh, by sponsorship or you know someone who is looking for a great cause, please contact contact me at Leanne voiceamerica at gmail.com. And then for 2020, I've set a goal um, uh, during this time that's the, the year of the nurse and the midwives. I decided to set a goal of helping to um, uh, provide nurses to the world. And so I'm uh, throwing a challenge out to contribute to my scholarship funds to help people become nurses who might not otherwise have been able to otherwise. So um, this is also on my website, once a nurse, always, excuse me, once a nurse.com. So until our next show, I am hoping that you will make it a great week and don't let anyone take it away. Thank you for listening. for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week.